0: What is a Protestant? Covenant of Grace is a Protestant church. Simply put, this means that in the split that occurred around the time of the Protestant Reformation, we think that Martin Luther and the Reformers were right and the established Roman Catholic Church was wrong. Now, between the apostles and this division of Protestantism, the church had been largely unified. The Orthodox Eastern and Catholic Western churches had split, but this was mostly over geography and leadership and less about theology, though there are some theological disagreements between the two, especially now. And likewise, in the Protestant Reformation, those were factors, but there were significant theological factors as well. Three areas of disagreement caused Luther and the Reformers to eventually split the church into what we now know as Protestantism and Catholicism. One area is ecclesiology. The Reformers did not find scriptural support for the way the church was operating. Ecclesiology means the church itself, the study of the church. The Bishop of Rome, the Pope, as the head of the church, just seemed contrary to Christ's establishment of a church without any single human leader. It doesn't fit in with the history of how God led his people, 12 disciples, apostles, councils of elders. This idea that one human would be the infallible authority of the church other than Christ just is anti-biblical. There's also an issue of moral corruption. Even if the Reformers had supported the offices of Pope and Bishop, They were not able to support the individuals who held those offices at the time. Moral corruption was widespread. Bribes were taken for absolution and divorces. We've all heard of the selling of indulgences. Children were fathered out of wedlock by supposedly celibate priests. Violent times were committed against the enemies of some of these men. Now, to be fair... The Counter-Reformation cleared much of this up. This was the movement uh, at or right after the time of the Protestant Reformation, where the Catholic Church attempted to get its house in order, and it did clear up a lot of the moral corruption. Much of the immorality of the Roman leadership is long gone. There's also the issue of theology. The other two categories were probably the initial impetus, but the Reformation quickly became about significant theological disagreement. Sometimes the lines get blurred between those three categories. The most common of those was the practice I mentioned, like the selling of indulgences. It's an issue of theology because a bishop claims that he has the power to forgive sins. It's an issue of moral corruption because he's willing to sell the forgiveness of sins for money, even for something like a church building project, which is most of what they were doing. It's also an issue of ecclesiology because anyone who opposed that practice, no matter if they were based on scripture or not, was declared a heretic because the bishop of Rome's word was infallible. The best way to frame reformational or Protestant theology is through the five solas. Now, we remember we're saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. Faith alone saves, but faith doesn't exist in a vacuum. And these five solas, these five principles help to explain some of the fundamentals of a biblical faith, the faith that was highlighted or recovered in a way in the Reformation. The first is faith alone. This is the idea that justification, a person being made righteous enough to withstand the judgment of Christ, that is perfectly righteous, that status of righteousness can only come by faith. It cannot come by works. It can't come by a mixing of works and faith. It's not an equation where we do our part and God does his. We who are dead in our sins and trespasses cannot do anything to make ourselves alive. We who are stained and tainted by sin can't do anything to make ourselves clean. All our righteousness is as filthy rags in that context. Righteousness must be given to us. It must be imputed to us by God. God makes a declaration, and that declaration is full and permanent. Christ's righteousness is imputed, given to us, credited to our account, and only on that basis can we be justified. This differs greatly from the teaching of the Roman church. Catholicism teaches the infused righteousness of Christ. That means that at a person's baptism, when they're united with the church, they are infused or filled with Christ's righteousness, which enables them to do good things instead of bad. Their responsibility is then twofold. One, to use that infused righteousness to do their own good works so that they can build up their own merit for the day of judgment. And two, to confess to the church when they fail, when they sin, and to pay penance for those sins. That is to wipe away the stains of their own sin through penance. And if they meet those two responsibilities, then God will declare them righteous at the last judgment. The reformers were opposed to this view on at least two grounds. The first is that Christ paid for all the sins of his people on the cross. There is no double jeopardy. When people pay penance for their sins, it means that the sin is punished twice. That's why that concept of penance is not found anywhere in scripture. Christ either died for your sins or he did not. If he did die for your sins, then it is as your guilt for that sin is as far as the east is from the west. If he did not die for your sin, there is nothing you can do other than die to atone for it. And second, Paul teaches plainly in his epistles that God declares us to be righteous and that this declaration by God is why we can be sure of our salvation. If part of our salvation depends on our actions, doing those two things, then Paul could not tell us to be confident that we'll be with God on the last day. He couldn't tell us that God has already declared us to be righteous because he wouldn't know we would still have time to mess it up. That's why the next of these alones is grace alone. Saving faith must be given to us, and it comes to us only by the grace of God. It's not something we can earn. We can't buy it. We can't manufacture it for ourselves. We can't deserve it. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. If a person could make faith for themselves, They would have earned salvation. The making of faith would have been the one good work they needed to do in order to be saved. Not only is this against faith alone, but it's not even possible. We can't regenerate our own spirits. We're rebels. We are happy in our rebellion. We need God to give us faith if we're going to believe and be saved. And again, this differs from the Roman church. It's not that they don't believe in grace or faith. They absolutely do but they believe that grace dwells in a person and enables them to earn their salvation, to merit their salvation by the performance of faithful works and by penance to remove sin and failure. The next is Christ alone. Christ is the only mediator between God and man. Salvation can only be found in him and faith in anyone else will not save. No other sacrifice can atone for sins. 2 Corinthians 3.14 says, But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, the Roman church had established that the church itself was the mediator between God and man, and that salvation was only available through the church, and at the decree of the bishop, it could be taken or uh, granted or taken away. This was the real rub. It wasn't that the reformers were opposed to the institutional church or that they were rebels against the church's authority. The Bible gives the church the keys to the kingdom. It does have the exercise of authority. But that exercise of authority is supposed to be based in faith by Scripture and not with the will of the bishop. Scripture alone, then, comes next, that the Bible is the only final authority for faith and practice. The Bible stands on its own and does not require official interpretation. Not all of Scripture is easy, but all of Scripture can be understood. And Scripture should be made available to all believers as an essential part of the Christian life and how we interpret Scripture should come from Scripture itself and not from any outside authority. The Bible, and nothing else, is God's instrument for revealing Himself and salvation to His people. Now, all this differs from the Roman practice of the Magisterium, who offered the authoritative interpretation on what Scripture says. The differences are visible if you think about how uh, Protestants and Catholics use commentaries. The Westminster Confession, the Westminster Larger Catechism, or we use the Heidelberg Catechism in our church, these are summaries of scripture. And while they're written by wise and faithful men, and they've been tested throughout the centuries, they can be wrong. A person's conscience can't be bound by the catechism if they believe that scripture teaches otherwise. The Catholic Catechism is the official interpretation of scripture for the church. It cannot air in their view. And so the conscience of a Catholic is bound to what it says, even if they think scripture says something else. In that system, notice that scripture gets its authority from the church, which interprets it for the people, not the church gets its authority from scripture. So finally, to the glory of God alone, so that no man might boast, as the Bible says. Everything in salvation, start to finish, is God's doing. He died on the cross for our sins. He poured out his wrath on Christ instead of us. He offers forgiveness through Christ. He imputes righteousness, and he gives us the gift of faith. Thus, every part of salvation is to his own glory, and none is to ours. Every Christian is a saint, because God has made them a saint. Every Christian is perfectly righteous and equal before God in merit, because it's Christ's perfect merit. This differs from the Romans church on uh, teaching about sin and purgatory and infused righteousness, where some men and women are more righteous than others, and some sins are worse than others and require more payment than just what Christ offered on the cross. Some people are more righteous than others, and the church declares them to be saints. And then these saints become mediators between God and man, and their prayers are somehow advantageous to us. We can pray to them to pray for us. Hail Mary, of course, is the example. Now, Catholics do not pray to Mary because they think that she's a god or she can do something magical for them. They pray to Mary because they think that God listens to her prayers more than to theirs. And so they ask Mary to pray for them. As with all the saints, she and and they are mediators between God and people. And the belief is that her prayers to God for us are more valuable or more likely to be heard than our own because of her righteousness. The Reformers could find no warrant for any of this in Scripture, and saw it as a slippery slope to idolatry as people received credit, praise, and glory that was due to God alone. Now, There's a lot of strange beliefs out there about Catholics. The idea that they're Mary worshipers. You'll hear people sometimes talk about Catholics as if none of them are Christians. Are you Catholic or Christian? But the distinction we're making is Catholic or Protestant. We've already said that to be a Christian, one must believe what's in the Apostles' Creed. So we need to separate individuals from the church for a moment. Many in the Catholic Church could be and are saved on the basis of their personal faith in Christ alone for their salvation. Making statements about the Roman Catholic Church is not to impute every individual who's a member of that church. But there are good biblical reasons why the Reformed churches do not consider the Roman Church to be a true church. These doctrines are essential for salvation, and the Church of Rome is opposed to them. People in the Catholic Church who are saved are so despite what their church teaches, not because of it, and it shouldn't be that way. Many, many Catholics are unfamiliar or unclear on the specific teachings of their own church. So the Reformation wasn't your typical church schism over the color of the drapes or the style of music. These were major theological, ecclesiastical, and moral differences that needed to be addressed for the purity of the church. Everyone wants a church that is at peace, but the Reformers knew we cannot sacrifice purity for peace. And that is why we're Protestant.